0: whatever 2nd Timothy chapter 3 a passage of scripture that some of you can quote and if you aren't able to it's a great passage to memorize it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect or complete truly furnished unto all good works so from that passage we we understand that from the scripture there are four things that are listed doctrine reproof, correction and instruction To put them simply it's two things telling us what to do two things telling us what not to do and those things are given to us that god may complete us that he may work in us that we would be equipped and completed and furnished to be and do what he wants us to do and be amen The the statement is that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Some of you will know that that expression is translated from a Greek word, which means that God breathed. His word is the expression of Himself. And it reminds me a little bit of how in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And in John chapter 20 and verse 22, it says, and when he had said this, speaking of Jesus, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And this morning, if you will allow the Lord to breathe on you, if I can use that expression, his word and his spirit will bring you new life. Amen. The word of God and the spirit of God are the expression of God Himself. So much so that John tells us that that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm I'm teaching more than preaching this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. You know, when I was a kid, used to get rulers at school that had that verse on the back of them. Probably don't see those in school nowadays. A workman. That means there's effort involved That needeth not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of God So to understand this book Requires application And we are teaching Bible class on Sunday morning We're preaching the word of God We're doing that again on Wednesday night And some of you do Bible study through the week Some of you are in Bible school on a Tuesday night But if you want to know God You must know the word of God If you are serious about God You must be serious about the Word of God. You cannot develop an understanding and a depth of relationship by an occasional glance over a few verses. And it does not matter if we have the best preachers, the worst preachers, and anywhere in between. What you get in this place, as good or bad as it may be, is not enough. You must have a habit of feeding your soul with the Word of God. It amazes me that we live in an era where there are more resources available to study the Scripture than there ever have been before, and yet we seem to take less advantage of it than we ever did before. I'm not that old, but I remember when I started preaching, there were no iPads. There was no Bible software, at least not that I was aware of. I remember sitting at my little desk in the room at my mum and dad's house and getting down that Strong's Concordance off the top shelf. Anybody own a Strong's Concordance? If you drop that on yourself, it could knock you out. thing was huge and, you know, you were running out of time and service, you know, like a lot of young preachers still learning, I'd maybe left things a little bit late, so I'm flipping through this monstrous book and then I'll pull down a Bible dictionary or a commentary. Now it's just click, 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 click. It's so easy. It's so easy. But my memories of when I was a child was that the people that were in the church, particularly the adults, were students of the Word of God. There were notebooks and books that were open and Bibles that were open and studies that were being done of their own accord. We need to have an appetite for the Word of God. Amen. One of the issues with understanding the Word of God is recognizing how it was put together. In understanding what and who are being addressed In particular passages and portions Is all of the word of God inspired by God? Absolutely Absolutely Are all God's promises true? Without doubt They are all true Do I want to receive? Do you want to receive all the promises that are in the book? No you don't That was a little bit of a trick question There are promises in that book for people who walk away from God. There are promises in that book for people who reject God. There are promises in that book for people who deny God. I want no part of those promises. If you want those, we may need to talk to you later. But there's things in that book that I don't want any part of. It doesn't change them from being true. They're true and they're accurate. But there are consequences that are promised to mankind in this book if we reject God and reject his words so don't feel bad if you said yes i kind of led you astray a little bit amen in our society today scripture is ridiculed in the public arena sometimes this is because of a poor understanding on behalf of some believers sometimes it's because of ignorance on behalf of the media to give you a a easy example when the public debate was taking place about whether or not we should legalize same-sex marriage in this country, it was consuming the media. It was in the media all the time. And if a Christian was asked their opinion, sometimes they would simply quote a verse from the Old Testament that condemned homosexuality, and then the journalist would quote another verse from the Old Testament that Christians don't observe today, such as not making garments from two different kinds of fiber, such as wool and linen, Anybody wearing mixed fibers this morning? Some of you probably never looked at your labels. That's okay. And they, that journalist would use that to reject the Christian's response. Now, the journalist is deliberately ignorant. But the believer, unfortunately, has not presented his case well either. Now, I am not suggesting that we will be able to persuade the media to trust the Word of God. Uh, The spirit of this world is contrary, the Bible says, to the Word of God. But as believers, we need to know how to rightly divide this book. Amen. And some of you have heard me teach this on multiple occasions, but for those of you that are perhaps a little newer in your walk with God, there's a very powerful principle that will help you with understanding the Scripture, and that is the idea of context. Context, according to the dictionary, means the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement or idea, and in terms in which it can be fully understood. In other words, understanding what is going on around the statements that you are reading. When you look at the Word of God and you're and to understand the Word of God, you should ask yourself, who is speaking? Who is the intended original audience? Now today we are the audience, but the original audience can help us understand what's going on. What is the subject of the text? I would suggest you should read the verses, or even better, the chapters, before or after the passage you are saying, I need to read chapters? This is the word of life. Reading a verse on its own can easily lead to an understanding that may not be so accurate. Let me give you some very simple examples of that. Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. By itself, that verse could be understood or misunderstood to mean that by the Spirit of God we can have supernatural abilities and do miracles every day after breakfast. Now, yes, it is true that God does give us the ability and anointing to see the miraculous happen. We believe that with all of our hearts. But the context of this verse is about being able to trust God and go through hard times. It's not talking about the supernatural. It's about saying regardless of what comes against me and regardless of what I go through and what I face and what opposes me, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Amen. Now, I'm not suggesting that it doesn't have that other application that God can use us to do the miraculous, but that's not the context. Another example, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Short verse says, Judge not. That you be not judged. This verse is very often quoted by people when someone tells them they shouldn't be doing something or living a certain way. They'll say, don't judge me. The Bible says you shouldn't judge me. The context is actually telling us to be careful that we examine ourselves before we make examinations of situations and others. It's this passage that has the example of having a piece of wood in your own eye while you're trying to get out a speck of dust out of your brother's eye. It's not saying we don't make judgments. We make judgments all the time. Judgment is a decision. It's an examination. But it's saying we don't judge people's eternal destinations and that we need to take great care that we first look in before we ever bother to look out. Amen. Some more examples of context. We have scriptures where the Apostle Paul is writing to individuals. Timothy, Titus, and some others. We have scriptures where Paul is writing to churches, such as Corinth. We have scriptures where Paul is writing to groups of churches, such as Ephesus. And even in the book of Acts, we have accounts of the Apostle Paul defending himself before Roman rulers. All different situations. All scripture. But understanding the context helps us to w- draw out exactly what it is that we need to get from that passage. Amen. Amen. Now, I've already said the youth service is next weekend, and after that service, I'm going to be beginning a series of lessons that will probably close out the year that hopefully this lesson will help with. as we Hopefully you'll see it fits when we get there. If you don't see that, well, just call a lesson all by itself. That's okay. Amen. But all of these details in the Scripture influence our understanding of what we are reading. So, if we believe that the Word of God is inspired by God, and I hope you do, if you believe that it's infallible, and I hope you do, then how do we reconcile scriptures that seem to give us different instructions? For example, in the Old Testament, if you kill my brother, I can kill you. If you poke out my eye, I can poke out your eye. It was very much a tit for tat situation. In fact, if you killed one of my family members, I could come after you and kill you and be completely innocent, according to the Old Testament. Now, some of you would like that to be the case today. But you'll go to prison if you do that. So please don't use that method. But then when we get to the New Testament, Matthew 5 and 44 says, But I say unto you, Jesus speaking, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And everybody said, help me Jesus. We spoke about the Holy Ghost earlier. We, You're not going to get half that verse done without the Holy Ghost. You won't even get into the first part, love your enemies. I'm gone, I'm out. Without the Holy Ghost, it's not happening. That's why we need the Spirit of God. Not once, but always. Now, one of the keys to understanding how this fits together is this word testament. Testament. The word doesn't actually appear, as ironic as this may sound, doesn't actually appear in the Old Testament at all. The the New Testament, the English word testament, occurs 14 times, but the Greek word that is translated as testament is also translated as covenant a further 18 times. And in, this is the word that is common in the Old Testament, the word covenant, which appears more than 250 times. Now, the Hebrew word that we get covenant from, there isn't a test on this, the Hebrew word that we get covenant from includes in its meanings the word feta. Now, that's F-E-T-T-E-R. It's not the cheese you have in a Greek salad. It's F-E-T-T-E-R. And a feta is a chain or a shackle. When I was a kid, we used to sing a chorus that said, Jesus breaks every fetter and He sets me free. Amen. Meaning that Jesus sets us free from the chains of sin. Now, when you enter into a covenant with someone, you enter into a relationship or an agreement where you are bound or even shackled to them. We performed a ceremony on Tuesday afternoon where two people entered into a covenant. We shouldn't refer to being married as being shackled. But it is a binding agreement. It is a binding agreement. Amen. The word that we would probably use more regularly today is contract. When you and I sign a contract, there are requirements that both parties must fulfill. There are obligations. When you are employed with somebody, often you'll be asked to sign a contract. If you purchase a house, you'll sign a contract. And when you sign it and they sign it, that means there are things you must do and things they must do. It is a binding agreement. Amen. There are obligations. So what is the point of that as a part of all of this lesson? God has always entered into covenant relationships with mankind. These covenants have always included requirements from God that are necessary to receive the promises that are made in the agreement. I'm going to say that again. These covenants that God has entered into with man have always included requirements from God that were necessary for us to receive the promises that are included in that agreement. So let's take a look at some of these covenants. And we're going to use a little visual aid here. Gav, you want to help me, we're going to space these chairs out. I'm going to need some people. Sister Sheila, you're going to help me out over here, please. Please. That's Sister Sheila. I'll have that one. Who's this one going to be? Uh, you, You can sit up there, Sister Sheila. Brother Jonathan, how about you come and take a throne here? Brother Peter, this one's got your name on it. Brother David, you can come and sit here. Sorry for the male heaviness. Those that are sensitive about that, there are reasons. Brother Grant, you get chair number one, please. Okay, we're using a little bit of a a visual aid to try and communicate this. Amen. I, I need a third hand, but I don't have one. So, covenants between God and man. This is Adam, God's first perfect image creature. God had a relationship with Adam and Eve. Adam was required to dress and keep the garden. He was required to name all of the animals. He was also instructed that he was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There may have been more things in that covenant, but they're the details that we have. There were things that Adam and Eve were to do and things they were not to do. This good-looking young man here is Noah. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah was instructed to build an ark with very, very specific detail. God just didn't show up one day and say, Hey, Noah, I'm thinking some kind of floating boat thing might be a good idea. You work on that. He said to Noah, this long, this wide, this deep, this many floors, one door, one window, these animals, these instructions. Very specific. Anybody who thinks that you know it doesn't really matter what you believe... God knows my heart. Have a chat to Noah if you can. Very strict instructions. Now, after the flood, God told Noah, I won't destroy the earth with water again. He said the seasons will continue to come. There'll be harvest and winter and all that stuff. He said that he and his family were instructed to be fruitful and multiply and replenish or restock the earth. God told them that the meat from the animals was theirs to eat for food. But that they were not to eat meat that still had the blood in it because life was in the blood. And they were not to kill men, mankind, because man was made in the image of God. And God said to Noah and his sons, this is my covenant with you. This is the binding agreement we're entering into. And he said that rainbow in the sky is a token or a symbol of that covenant. Then we get along to Abraham. It has nothing to do with the fact that Brother Peter's having a child soon. God calls Abraham, tells him to leave his homeland, his family, and just go out to a place that God's going to show him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I'll bless thee, I'll make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And if you read on a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 17, you'll see that God adds a token of that covenant, the token of the covenant of circumcision, as part of that agreement with Abraham. Again, things they had to do, things they had not to do. We come over here, we get to Moses. Get to be Moses. This covenant is a significant shift in the process of God making covenants with mankind. Because when we get to the covenant with Moses, before this, it was a man or a couple or a man and his family. When we get to Moses, it's God making a covenant with a multitude of people who will become or are becoming a nation. So it's it's grown in scale. Amen. We know that the law of Moses, which is also called the Mosaic law, are the terms and conditions of this covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. These things included the Ten Commandments and all the laws that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. What to eat, what not to eat, what to wear, what not to wear, how to worship and how and what to not worship. Again, things to do things not to do and in this covenant there's a whole lot of them then we get over to here sister Sheila's is saving the best for last we get to the new testament covenant sister sheila represents all of you here we get to an era where we hear a message about love and grace and mercy and the sacrifice upon a cross about sins being washed away in jesus name and about the infilling of the holy ghost In this covenant, there is obedience to the gospel that is required by faith. Then there is also instruction for how to live and how not to live. Again, things to do, things not to do. So, you guys can't go away, you get to stay there with me. Just relax, don't go to sleep. With this collection of covenants and all their various requirements, what do we submit to and obey as the New Testament church that's the big question the very first thing we have to understand and establish is that God who entered into each one of these covenants is the same God His holiness His nature His morals His person are the same but the relationships are different the relationships and the requirements are different There are some aspects of these covenants that you and I simply cannot keep. It is very unlikely that we will be asked to rename the animals or to be worried about a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't have access to that. It's also very unlikely that we'll be asked to build a floating zoo anytime soon. I'm kind of glad for that as well. And much of the New Testament, particularly after the book of Acts, focuses on the challenges faced by the church To completely release one covenant And completely take hold of another The book of Hebrews particularly Compares the old and new covenants Or the Mosaic law in the church Continually repeating and reminding us That the new covenant is better And that our high priest is greater Amen The Apostle Paul was constantly persecuted by Jews who tried to force the New Testament church to keep the law of Moses. If you read the books of Romans and Galatians, they address this at length. And some of the other epistles do as well. There are, in fact, warnings, not suggestions, but warnings in the New Testament against returning to the Old Covenant. Amen. This is all important. This is not just some interesting history lesson. At least I hope not. The important question in understanding this, to me this is one of the keys to understanding all of this, can I, everybody say can I, because you have to answer this question, be in two covenants at the same time with God? No. No, you cannot. The answer is no. Now, I'm probably going to challenge some people's theology a little bit this morning, and i do that carefully. Please allow me to get to the end before that you decide I'm a heretic the question we need to answer today particularly as the church we're not worried about adam's covenant so brother grant no you can say you don't let it go yet we're not in the garden of eden we're not living in noah's day we're also not abraham but we can't we have scripture that connects old and new testament and particularly connects this covenant and that covenant you with me Okay, so the question is, as the New Testament church, do we keep the law of Moses? That's the question. At this point, when you have this conversation with some people, they'll often say that the law of Moses actually has three parts. And uh, and I'm not suggesting this is necessarily wrong. But they'll say there is a moral law, there is a civil law, and a ceremonial law. So moral law, without getting off track, is things like don't kill somebody, don't commit adultery civil law is don't steal your neighbor's donkey ceremonial law has to do with worship and feasts and sacrifices okay so they will try to divide those into three and they will say that as the new testament church we don't keep the civil or the ceremonial law but we keep the moral law now while that idea and that understanding may have some merit the scriptures don't really give us this separation They don't sort of lay that out for us. And not only that, it finds us bearing the responsibility of trying to draw a line between which verses are in which part of those three areas of the law. When Paul, in the New Testament, wrote about the law of Moses, he just referred to it as the law, the whole package. Those who teach these three areas of the law usually say that as New Testament Christians, we only keep the moral law of God such as the Ten Commandments or other moral issues. So, let's ask the big question. What about the Ten Commandments? Do we keep those or obey the Ten Commandments as New Testament believers? Yes and no. (laughs) Let me explain that. When was the last time any of you kept the Sabbath? How many of us go to work on Saturday? Wash their cars on Saturday, mow their lawns on Saturday, work in their gardens, clean their houses, or do some other project. Most of you use your Saturdays for other things. Brother Frost uses his for sleeping, so he's okay. But I know once he gets up, he's working. So he's a Sabbath breaker as well. So you're all Sabbath breakers. Okay, not being facetious, I'm just, that's where it is. But we understand in the New Testament that the rest or the Sabbath that we have as New Testament Christians is found in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. That's referring to a whole lot of parts of the the law of Moses. And he said, Which things are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So these things were a shadow of, But the body or the substance that casts that shadow is Jesus Christ. So what we have when we think about the Sabbath as one example is we have an Old Testament law that has a New Testament fulfillment, but notably it is a law with a physical application in the Old Testament that has a spiritual application in the New. There's a lot of people looking at me strangely. That's okay. Sometimes Christians get nervous When you start to suggest that the New Testament church doesn't have to keep the law of the Old Testament because they're worried that it's going to usher in some kind of chaos or free-for-all where there are no rules. But here's, let me answer that concern. Grace. We often talk about the New Testament church as being under grace. Grace actually requires more of us, not less. You see, in the Old Testament, it was just your actions that were assessed. But in the New Testament, it's both your actions and your intent. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, Old Testament, thou shalt not commit adultery. So in the Old Testament, as long as you didn't do the deed, you were keeping the law. But then Jesus said, but I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her, has committed adultery with her already in his heart so this idea that it makes it easier is actually a misunderstanding jesus actually raises the bar and he says it's not just what you do it's the how and the why that you do what you do and i think in the same passage it's not in my notes or on the slides but in my in the same passage he says something like you've heard it said thou shalt not kill but i say to you if you're angry with your brother without well, a cause Again, help us, Jesus. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And another point is that almost everything that could be considered of a moral nature in the Old Testament is repeated in the New Testament. So in a sense, as New Testament Christians, we do keep the Old Testament law not because we're in covenant with the old testament but because those things are carried over as a part of this covenant that we are in everybody got that so we are we are the things the moral things that in the old testament the lord said to moses tell my people don't do this stuff just about all of that is carried across to the new testament so you can say well yes i am keeping that but not under this covenant i'm in that covenant i'm in the covenant that's better that has a better high priest, that has a better outcome for me. Amen. So, when we think about our friends up here on the platform, Adam and Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Sister Sheila's the New Testament church, the Old Testament law, from even back as far as Noah said, we don't kill. And that carries through to the New Testament. So we need to pay attention to that. Amen. Without This is not an exhaustive list, but this also applies to stealing, adultery, idolatry covetousness witchcraft drunkenness uncleanness and so on and so on those things appear in some of these covenants but especially in this one but they're also today we'd say copied and pasted and even elevated in the new covenant so we keep those things but not because i'm in moses's covenant but because i'm in the covenant that jesus christ introduced amen galatians chapter three verses 23 to 26 and I'm not too far off being done says but before faith came we were kept under the law shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed wherefore because of this the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith but after that faith is come we are no longer under a schoolmaster for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ jesus please do not misunderstand me this morning i am not throwing away the old testament and saying it doesn't matter it most definitely does it defined sin it taught us about a holy god it built a framework for the new testament church to be born into amen but we don't offer old testament sacrifices blood sacrifices anymore thank you jesus because we have calvary So I'm not looking for a lamb Or a baby goat Or a bullock And checking it out to make sure it's without spot I'm coming to the foot of the cross And I'm saying Lord I lay my life down again I take advantage of your sacrifice I ask you to wash me with your blood Again and again and again Because the Bible says If the blood of bulls and goats could have got the job done That's the new Simon version If it could have got the job done We didn't need Calvary But it was just pointing away It was saying, I'm a schoolmaster. I'm teaching you some lessons, but life is coming. You know, that's why you go to school, to prepare you for life after. It's kind of what the Old Testament was. It was preparing us for new life that Jesus Christ would bring. Amen. Amen. So just as the cross fulfilled or completed all that Old Testament sacrifice and worship, whatever was carried over into the New Testament continues to be required of us as born-again believers. Not only are there commandments that are carried over, things about killing and adultery and all that stuff, but there are principles. And this is where I want to get to when we, as we close this. There are principles that we can observe throughout the Scripture in multiple covenants that show us that they are important to God. Let me give you an easy one which will kill the mood really quickly. Tithes and offerings. started he offered sacrifice he offered sacrifice he tithed he said you got to tithe jesus said you know you're making a big deal about the little stuff think about judgment and mercy but don't leave out that other stuff as well you see it it occurs in multiple covenants which is an indicator we need to pay attention to it another one that this world doesn't like today is gender distinction way back in that man's covenant it says in the beginning god made them male and female when we get to this man's covenant there's some pretty strong instruction about how God feels about that and that's carried across Jesus quoted from back there in the New Testament Jesus carried that across into the Gospels here's a side thought that is in my note sometimes people who come against Christianity and saying that the Bible doesn't actually teach against homosexuality and that Jesus never taught about it but they, they sort of say only the Apostle Paul did And he had a problem. Jesus never addressed it. It was Paul that had the problem. Do you know why Jesus didn't address it? Because he was in Israel. Israel was living under this covenant. They had a very, very clear understanding of God's point of view on that subject. Paul went into Ephesus, Corinth, philippi thessalonica all these other places that didn't know who jesus was that didn't know what christianity was that were idol worshippers, full of every kind of immorality and he had to address a lot more things that the jews already had covered so that argument is flawed from the start amen there are also other things that we see throughout the different covenants and that's tokens or things that god gave to say this is a sign that we're in covenant he said to noah see that rainbow in the sky that's that's my reminder that i won't destroy the earth again he got to abraham and he said abraham you and all the men in your family you're all going to be circumcised as a token of the covenant and when you know i use the word token we don't think it's very important it's something you put in a machine when you take your kids to the royal show but god said to abraham you don't keep the covenant the deal is off the promises all that is gone so that was there It was also carried across to Moses. When we get to the New Remember, physical law, spiritual application. We get to the New Testament, you get to the book of Colossians, and Paul said, We are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, when we are baptized into Jesus Christ. So those tokens go through all the covenants as well. See, we have to understand how to rightly divide the word of God. We can look back at all of those covenants and we can consider examples and principles that are not from our covenant but can help us have an understanding for application in our covenant. Because a principle without an application, without a practical application, is just an idea. Every principle must find an application or it's without value. In conclusion, you guys might as well stay there about to close. God has always had covenant relationships with mankind. Each covenant has always had terms and conditions. Don't be misled into thinking, you know, we say it's by grace we're saved and nothing else. The Bible talks about being obedient to the gospel by faith. It is by grace. You cannot save yourself. It doesn't mean you just sit back and download it somehow. Each covenant has always had terms and conditions. Some elements of those covenants were repeated across the platform, if I can use it like that. We cannot be in more than one covenant at a time with God because the Bible warns us if we try to go back to this one, we put that one to shame. That's not word for word, but that's basically what it's saying. While we do not keep the Old Testament law in a covenant sense, like the nation of Israel, we keep many, if not all, of its moral aspects by being in the new testament covenant the obligations of grace are actually greater than the law of moses but here's the game changer the game changer is that somewhere between here and here there was 120 people in an upper room on the day of pentecost when god put out his spirit and suddenly by the power of the holy ghost what they couldn't do in this covenant by his power we are able to walk victoriously in this covenant won't you stand and lift your hands and worship Him with me this morning? Thank you.